conversation I had with my friend as the press of the day, I was like, man, you've, you literally work 16 hours a day, punch us some booze for three hours, mm. go to bed, get up at five o'clock and work again. And do it again. Then sit there with my thoughts. Welcome to Beyond the Beers. Men breaking a stereotype through conversation. We men love a good yarn, some banter, even better over a beer or tea. Sadly for many men, it never goes deeper than that. This show is a place for men to go beyond the surface level conversation, a chance to learn, listen, laugh, and grow. I'm your host, Mike Campbell, man coach and author of Amazon bestseller for men's health, Unleash Your Alpha. Let's break stereotypes through conversation. Let's go beyond the beers. Welcome to Beyond the Beers. I'm your host, Mike Campbell, and today we are coming to you from the brewery at Young Henry's in Newtown. We're very happy to be here, and with me, with me today, we have Mr. Nick Bradley. Now, Nick is a former professional rugby league player, now personal trainer and coach and mentor for young boys who've kind of slipped through the system a little bit. And Nick and I have been friends for a long time now when we started working together at the same gym. I was instantly hit by his presence and I've continually been captivated by it. I think Nick is a man of uh, strength, passion, virtue and integrity. And I always enjoy our chats, which is exactly why I wanted to have him here on the show. I think you'll enjoy it and value what he has to say too. So Nick, welcome to the show, mate. Great to have you here. Thanks, Mike. So Nick, let's kick off. Now, one of the things I want to ask you to start with, it's something that's intrigued me for a long time. Uh, and I'm not sure if I've ever really asked you about this. And because we're going into the tougher conversations, I want to hit with it first. I've always been intrigued with your history in rugby league. You know, I, we see a lot of rugby league players in the press and the media for doing pretty stupid shit a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, know the nature of footballing codes myself. Yeah. And I've always wondered how such a, a highly intelligent, compassionate, conscious bloke like yourself handles that very blokey, macho kind of world. Well, I guess, it, I mean, there's a couple of things. First of all, uh, I'm from a, like an archetypal rugby league background. My, my family is from the Riverina yep. um, in Australia. I grew up, we grew up on farms and all that kind of stuff. And it's just been such a big part of our, our life and our family. My dad's from Fiji, which is a huge kind of football background. So yeah. I grew up with it and I get it. Um, but I always did feel like I was sort of a little bit out. Yeah. And, but that's probably true in most of my life. So whether it's work or, or football, or even at uni, I was a footballer at uni. At football, I was, football, I was the uni guy yeah. playing football. And it always felt like I was one foot. In. Even in Australia, I was half Fijian and half Australian. And I was, had a foot in both cultures. Um, so amazingly, as you get older, it helps you navigate a whole heap of things. Yeah, okay. um, but the greater truth is this, there's 400 guys in the NRL probably, something like that. The vast majority of them are family guys, they get married at 23, they have three kids, their family comes every weekend to watch them, they're working class kids, um, and they're made good, yeah. basically. And then you get five guys a year out of those 400 who are 21, who get on the drink and they do terrible things. They embarrass themselves in the community, in their family, and they've got to live with that. Yeah. And when they're 24, they're like, oh, the, the mist came off. Yeah. So I did feel like I was one foot in one world, one foot in the other. But I also think that, you know, you get some guys who are just unequipped to deal with the level of scrutiny that they've got. Yeah, young kids, fame, bit fame. of money. And, and let's be honest, you go out there to hurt other people. Yeah. A big part of it is you're taught to be antisocial, be competitive, beat everyone else, do not show pain. When you show pain, we will boo you. Yeah. We will yell at you. 10,000 people do that. They laugh at you. They throw things at you when you come off the field if you're hurt. This is, this is the reality. So yeah. you're taught, don't show pain. Don't, don't hurt. Don't do any of these things. Oh, and then switch it off when you go over the, 
the yeah. white line. Even though you're 20, we've never taught you how to control your mind or your mindset whatsoever. So to a certain extent, we throw these young boys to the wolves. They're 21 and then, then they, they do this stupid stuff and you're like, why did you do it? Yeah. And the reason was they weren't prepared. So I did feel like I was out, outcast or outside a little bit. Yep. But I also am from that. I yeah, am a yeah. working class guy. That's how I grew up. Yep. So I get the culture. And I also believe we don't empower the people in the, in the code um, to do it. And we also don't talk about all the amazing guys. Yeah. The guys that are community guys that are spent, they spend a lot of time out working with young people, working with kids um, and, and loving their families. So and the that's the core. It's not making the press. It's not interesting. Yeah. Rugby league is, is drama for grown men in Australia. It's yeah. soap opera. <laughs> And what you read on the back page is usually the soap opera. They yeah. never talk about the game very much. No one cares. So how did you find it then as a 19, 20 year old getting into it and maybe seeing that with some of the players, I don't know, but yourself being confronted with yeah. a bit of notoriety, a bit of money, all that kind of stuff. Um, all those things do funny things to people, yep. including yourself. Um, and there's definitely a learning curve you go through. I came into the game, I guess, at a real inflection point where they just had the Super League war. And I, I, made, I made first grade pretty much the year after that wasn't much money in it um, yeah. and, the, and, and it was just a very strange time to be an athlete. I was also at a club that was a, a shambles. Right. Senior players were getting caught with taking drugs. One of them knocked out a, you know, another guy, a, a supporter at the league's club. Um, one of the, the senior players was threatening the, the, one of the conditioning staff. So I probably came in at the Tigers. It was like the worst club to make your debut yeah. because the, there were no role models. There was yeah. no, there was no yeah. identity. And I think men in groups, they take, you know, they can take on the, the characteristics of the other people and it, yeah. was hard yeah. to, it was hard to stay true to yourself or stay true to myself. Were you aware of that at the time? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I knew that, oh, man, this is not, I didn't sign, I, I, I wanted more because I wanted to yeah, be a part yeah. of a club, a community, I wanted yep. to be in that team. And, and, and we were just all over the place. Yeah. Um, and we're getting a lot of media scrutiny. There's, there's a whole heap of like scandals just for the first three, four years of my career and it really hurt me. Yeah. New coach comes in and he's like, let's just clean these guys out, Tim Sheens. And, and uh, it just happened to be that me and a few other guys, we'd made our debut in that era and it was a bad way to start your football career. Yeah. Um, but I was conscious like, that's not probably my go. So, okay, that's a big part of your life, you know, somewhat gone essentially. Sure. So I'm keen to know then now. Not necessarily what you do, but what is it that kind of gets you off? What do you spend your time uh, thinking about? What, what brings excitement to your life? I really like business. Yeah. I like the challenge of having, I've got a couple of businesses that I run and, and, I, and I, I enjoy that challenge a lot because it's always something different. I find that, um, yeah, the mindset required to be successful in business is, is a lot more consistent and constant than let's say being an athlete. An yeah. athlete is this acute stress all the time to perform, but business is like, will you be performing in six months time? Yeah. Can you continue to wake up and do the stuff that you need to? So I love that. But you know, I, I really love working with, with young men, um, boys who, well, they're boys, they're men, they're on that cusp. Okay. Um, and taking them, helping them with that journey is something that's given, helped me on my, on, on my journey into being a, a man, I guess, a fully yeah. functioning man. And um, you know, there's that saying, there's an African saying that, the boys that we don't induct into the tribe will burn down the village. And I think that's what we're seeing heaps of. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm doing my little bit, my bit of the world. Um, I hope we can grow that impact, but I really get a kick out of that now. Very nice. Yeah. And so on that, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on the show previously is about, you know, what it means to be a man these days and that kind of thing. But I'm more interested to ask more specifically around that cusp, right? So how do you address that cusp? 
and the transition to manhood for all those boys that are going through it. Yeah. The truth is uh, a lot of men have missed this. Heaps of yeah. men have missed this. And, and what has to happen is a process where older guys, senior men, the leaders in the tribe, if it was the old days or whatever, just talk to young folks about what it is to be a man. Yeah. And the truth is uh, young people do better when they've got a whole heap of guys to role model. So I'm not the only role model. I shouldn't be the only role model for the young people I'm working with, but I might be. So the trick is really, how do we surround our young people with a variety of models on how to operate in the world? Um, because they can take a bit from each of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, this idea that there's this superhero or this one role model that will teach you everything you need to know about life is, is bunk. Yeah. What they need to see is functioning men yeah. and women, but for the boys, men around them yeah. that they can model. Um, yeah. And so that's what it's about. And then we, we put it into a series of rites of passage where we take them through realizations about their life and we place them in the middle of a story and they're the hero of that story yeah cool um same it's the same storyline as the hobbit or lord yep. of the rings or any movie you've ever seen they the go on a journey, journey. yep on a journey and Very at the cool. end they're transformed by the the rites of passage that we take them through and you find that they kind of you know pick up that journey that story that archetype and run with it that monomyth that archetype of storytelling is actually how we talk to ourselves about ourselves going through this part and going through that part. Yeah, yeah. And then when we've successfully gone through our challenge and we're at the end and we see ourselves transformed, the next story, part of the story begins. Yeah. And often that's how humans tell themselves. So yeah, instinctively they get it. Yeah, cool. you know, they've been, we've been doing it to the, the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. That's, that's how we've told ourselves stories about ourselves. That's how it comes about, right? And yeah. for those who might not be aware, uh, Joseph Campbell's work around the monomyth, the yeah. hero of a thousand faces, basically dives into mm. everything through history, right? Storytelling, myths, legends, everything. Yeah. Uh, so it's very cool, nice. Um, okay, so then that's the stuff that you really, or some of the stuff that you really love to talk about. Yeah. So we've got to dig a bit deeper. What is the stuff that you don't like to talk about? Or maybe that you struggle with? And is it with anyone in particular? You know what, it's, um, it's something that I'm working on. Um, and actually something I admire about you. I really admire about you, but I've had a, long, a lot of trouble asking for help. Um, you know, and, and the inability for, to ask for help is one of the things that put a cap on my ability to be successful in a whole range of things. And a few years ago, I, I was doing a bit of, I was, I was sitting back and going, why, why haven't I got all the things I want? Why didn't my football career, why wasn't I exactly as good as I felt like I could have been? Because I wasn't, I didn't think. Um, and, and, and why isn't business doing as well as I want? And why, what, why are these mistakes with my relationships? And I'd actually paid this guy like twenty-five dollars or $30,000 to coach me in business and some stuff. And I got to the end of that and I was like, I didn't get what I wanted. And it was six months later and I thought, why didn't I get it? And I thought, well, I didn't really do what he told me. Right. So I went back and I said, maybe I need some coaching. Yeah. <laughs> and I, pay, you know, I paid him again. And I went and did some work on myself. And the first realization was realizing I wasn't getting what I wanted. The second was going, well, am I coachable? Am I listening to what someone tells me? And then the third was, the truth is, I, I grew up with a single mom, and my dad was, you know, he's a great guy, but ma what, made some classic parenting errors, yeah. and particularly in raising. And, and so, as a single, you know, with a single mom, you, you want to protect them, you don't want them to worry about you, yeah. and so you learn to be self-sufficient, and you learn not to, to express when you're upset. And you know, amazing because it got me to uni and a complicated degree, and it got me to be an athlete, and it, it got me around the world, and I'd seen everything, but then it became my cap, yeah. and the cap was I needed to reach out and ask for help. And it manifests in weird ways. So someone will say to me, hey, I'm taking my boat out this weekend. You're coming. And I'll be like, no one can tell me what to do. And I'll yeah, say right. no. And then all my friends on this boat having a good time. I'm like, what the hell am I not doing on the boat? 
But part of not asking for help was also not being given things. Yep. And not being open to people being generous because it would have, it, it's a, it just springs from the same spot. And so do you find that that's a, a case of struggling to actually receive things? Because that's getting help. A bit of both, yeah. yeah. I have trouble receiving things and I have trouble asking when I need it. And, and then that means, well, I can't ask my staff to do what I need them to do at work. And they're not fulfilled as people. Yeah, yeah. And so to step into leadership means being, accepting that you have to let go, accepting that you need help from everybody around you. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I really loved about you. When you need help, when you need uh, something for your show or whatever it needs, you go and, and you, you, you ask people. And actually asking for help is strength. Being prepared to say, I need this. Can you help me? Is strength. Yeah. Um, and that's a strength that I'm coming to slowly. But also, and I think a lot of us can, can resonate, it doesn't necessarily feel like it. No, it does not at all. Right? Yeah. Personally, I see it as a struggle and it's not something I'm amazing or, or, or mastered, but I just kind of remind myself that as long as I realize that I have an inner faith in myself that everything will be okay. You know? yeah. Will's not going to fall over if I be a bit vulnerable and ask for help or whatever it may be, right? Yeah. Um, what's the worst that can happen? And yeah. sometimes I think you just got to ask that actual question. Lay it out. Pros, cons. Okay. And you can kind of be quite analytical because we're quite good at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sitting back thinking about it. But I guess the, you know, the deeper realization is when you don't ask for help, you also can't empower the people that you know. I, w I would love to help you as much as I can. Yeah. And I will up to the bit where I can't help you anymore. And I think yeah. most of us would like to do, do that. And one of the reasons I feel like Australian men get stuck is that we aren't interacting in a way where it's like, what can I do for you? You know, what can, I, I mean, what can I do for you? What can you do for me? And it's not transactional. It's like, yep. it's, how, it's how I think men connect with each other is yep. doing things for one another. But if you never ask, you just don't get that. Yeah. Okay, so kind of extending on from that a little bit. Can you share an example of when you have had a tougher conversation? One that you were perhaps in your head about beforehand? And then, you know, what kind of happened as a result? Tougher conversations. You know, this made me send my mind way back, actually. So something that was really traumatic for me, which was my sister was diabetic um, and, and never confronted her illness. She just, right. and, and, um, and never dealt with that. And I was, a, I was a bull, I was playing football and I was like, just, just eat vegetables, you know? Like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just do what you're supposed to? Yeah. And um, I didn't have the tools that I've got now yeah. to talk to people about stuff. And then tragically, um, she passed away because she'd never come to grips with with that, and, and actually that set off in me, like when, I, you know, when you ask me this question, it set off in me this thing of like, how do I communicate with people better? How do I, how do I and I think, you know, that propelled me into becoming a coach. Yeah. It's the thing that's driven me. And so it's been a 10 year process or a 12 year process of learning how to have that conversation, the difficult conversation with people. And right now, someone I love is depressed. Um, and strangely, because of what happened 10 years ago, I'm much better equipped at having that difficult chat. Um, and it's weird, like, what you think is this thing that's impossible to talk about is just like, hey mate, you're depressed. What's going on? Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, I'm circling the drain at the moment, that's how I feel, it's bad. And it's, and it's just that chat, yeah. which I didn't know how to have a long time ago. And so you've had that chat with this person? Yeah. And how did you find it? Well. From your perspective? From my perspective, you have to get past your own, your own ego. Yeah. Oh, I let you down. Why didn't I see this before? Why? And then all I could hear was me, me, me. I, I, I. It's not about me. And how am I going to feel? How am I going to feel? What if you die and it's because I didn't say the right three words and I'm not God that can fix everything? Yeah. But I'm not. It's just the chat was the important thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and then you know the person that I'm talking to is having the realizations on their own because they had someone to talk to and it was really just this yeah. and I'm not God I didn't make it all happen I just said something and sat there and listened so we've spoken a little bit about you know your your um earlier life as a professional sportsman yeah where you're at now and to some degree you know what's been your journey but I'm interested to know more specifically around the the step maybe from professional sportsman to no longer a professional sportsman I'm sure there's countless examples and stories around it and I've heard some pretty troubling and, and hard ones but yeah. I'm keen to see your personal experience and then what you've seen perhaps with some of your mates and, and former teammates so it was the worst and the best as well yeah uh, it's the best of times and the worst of times I think it's a good way to start a story but you know, what happened for me was I was playing football. Um, I played in the World Cup for Fiji. We had this amazing experience. Uh, we got to, the, to the, the semi-final against Australia and got just annihilated. But it was a group of boys from a village. Yeah. We generally had kids out of the village in Fiji play against Australia at the football stadium. And, and it was an amazing journey. And then I was kind of like, you know what? I'm, I'm 28. I need to do something different. I had a girlfriend that I loved. I was just in love with her. She lived in England. We've been doing long distance for two years because I've been playing in England previously. So I quit football so I can get a proper job, you know, like go work in finance, had an economics degree or something like that. Um, and, and then we broke up. Um, and so my football crew was over and I, because I thought I was going to be this responsible dude or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and uh, my career broke. My, my parents, while I'd been away, had gone into a business and I'd lent them all the money I'd made playing football. They lost it all. They lost all their money, their houses. We had no material possessions. There was, there was genuinely a week where my mum and I, we just had no money in either of our, none of our bank accounts and we just had some noodles in the fridge in the cupboard and we laughed because we're like we're back here again this is where we were when i was a kid you know despite all the stuff we're here but we weren't because we didn't had all these other things happen to us emotionally and personally you know yeah, but yeah. materially we're zero so strangely the process of clearing everything out was done for me my relationship was done my career was done i had yeah. no money we had no home we had nothing it was all gone and so I could actually start completely fresh and create a new identity. And so I think a lot of people struggle in that process because they linger on and hold on to the life that's 100% gone. So identifying over here still is, I'm this. I'm an ex-footballer. Yeah. No, once you're a footballer, now you're someone else has to create a story. Yeah. So that process of death, it was truly death. Yeah. And, and you know, you miss it like a phantom limb, you dream in football, you, you spent your whole life getting good at it and now it's on the, it's, it's, it still hurts. I still wish I could play. I watch it and I just want to run into someone, you know? It's just to miss it. I miss the contact. I always played to avoid people. Yeah, I loved running into them, you know? That's part of it. It must be league. <laughs> um, and so I could create this new story. Yep. I had a fashion label. I had a couple, a lot of things going on. But my friend said to me, hey, why, you know, what are you doing? Why don't you just come and do some personal training? I'm like, yeah, personal training. That's a part-time job I can do till I get my finance job. Yep. Uh, and then I realized I liked, uh, people were drawn to me for whatever reason and I liked helping them. End up cool. training all these CEOs of banks and that's, that's how I got to the next part. So, ensuring that you're not identifying with one part of your life and one part of your story, but actually kind of living your story and, and, and looking with yeah. you know, what brings you value. Cool. Yeah. So then, one of the things that I find myself, I'm very analytical, I'm very up in my head um, and, I, and I've heard this from a lot of guys in general and I know as, as guys we tend to do it because we don't share and it's kind of what you're talking about before yeah. but we can often have a very common conversation so I'm interested uh, in our heads I'm interested to ask you is there a kind of a, a common story or conversation that plays out in your head 
Yeah, there's a low level anxiety that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. That yep. just is always gnawing away at me. So you I, should be having the finance job, you mean? Not so much the job thing, but like I should be right now at home doing some work right, on the you. computer. Yep. Um, I can resonate with that. Yeah, and then it's uh, and then the the realization is as I become more senior, as I drift, well, as I go through this this path I'm on in life, it's actually more important for me sometimes to make a decision and to empower someone else to do some stuff, and then to rest. Yep. Rather than this low level of just drudgery of work of I'm tapping mm -hmm. away on the computer. So doing something for the sake of it because you feel like you should. I feel like I should. Yeah. And so having some, developing some wisdom around that is hard. It's a new position for me in life because yeah. I've been hustling for the last yeah. forever. I hustled to and be it's on you and you've got to do it. It's I all on me. It's all on yeah. me, but it's, it's not. I've got to empower other people, um, ask for help. So all these things kind of sit together. But that internal... And then sometimes knowing when to say, hey, you've just been lazy. Yeah. Do some work. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. the wisdom and of the tricky two. little fluid kind of thing to, to figure yeah. out, right? But I suppose, you know, my take on that is it only comes with awareness, right? The more you pay attention to yourself, the more you can figure that stuff out yeah. and, and better know. And I also think metrics. Yeah. So if you're uncertain about something and you've got anxiety, am I doing the right or wrong thing? Start to measure, measure what you're doing. Yeah. If the metrics are good and they're improving or they're going the way you want them to, great. If they're not, your anxiety may well be correct. And the thing that really kills anxiety is action. I'm anxious about this thing. Well, let's hey, measure it. And if we have to change it, change it. If not, let the anxiety go. Yeah. And considered action too, right? Because yeah. a lot of us, and I'm very guilty of this myself at times, it's, it's action for the sake of action and it's not necessarily taking us anywhere, right? Yeah, that's Which right. leads to more of that anxiety. That anxiety about yeah. am I wasting my time? You know, like if I find myself at eight o'clock at night on the computer, I'm like, why? Rest, yeah. talk to your girlfriend, read a book. You know, yeah. they're important things also. So um, earlier we spoke about um, about manhood to some degree in terms of, you know, that, that cusp and the journey from boyhood to manhood, more specifically with the guys that you're working with. So uh, as you said, part of that has been helping your own journey, right, as a man. Yep. So I'm interested to know, you know, has there been particular role models and perhaps mentors in your life that have helped pave that journey for you or at least you know provide an example of what it is to be a, a kind of a well-balanced man sure uh, and there's there's examples and anti-examples too yep um and i think people maybe sometimes underappreciate seeing a bad example can be a very powerful thing for you yeah it can galvanize action in yourself yeah true but probably the best example you know my mum uh, got married when i was 12 to a guy funny looking guy <laughs> you know he's uh bald and uh, he's got a bit of a hump, hump on his back, but he married my mum when, when, when she had a 13-year-old yeah. or 12-year-old boy. Um, my dad was a bit crazy, and so there was some hate on him there. His yeah. family, he's from, um, he's Palestinian from Israel. His family were not on side with, with him marrying a woman that had a child. It was against, it was just not yeah. a, you know, a thing. And so they basically said to him, you can, you can either have your family or you can have your wife and her illegitimate child, yep. but you can't have both. Um, and, and he picked my mum. And then he was just the best, if there's a, that stereotype of a bad step-parent, he's the opposite. He never yep. told me what to do, but he always cared for me. He was always there. He picked me up, you know, he picked me up to take me from the school dances. He, he came to all my football games. He loved my mum. He's just the best guy. Um, and the thing is, he's not, he, it's not muscly. He's not good at sports. He's not, He's, he's, he's got a great personality, but he's not the guy that's going to command the room. Yeah. 
he's not physically tough. Mm -hmm. But he got up in that, air, that roof every day and installed air conditioning for my mum and I to have a good life. Yeah. And, and, I, and there was just something in that for me, um, just seeing what a, actually what a really good guy is. He goes to work every day, he loves his wife, he supports his family and, um, and he does the best job that he can with yep. you know, the skill set he's got. So he's not necessarily an obvious leader, obvious but he's leading in different ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that was definitely one. Um, I feel super fortunate that when I started um, my, my job as a coach, a PT, I got to work with some really high-functioning dudes, um, really successful in business, um, entrepreneurial guys. Um, and I got wisdom from all of them, yep. you know, and I just, it's such a fortunate thing to be paid to spend time with really clever men. Um, so there's a variety of guys in yep. business that I spent time with. getting little bits here and there. Little bits here and there. And there isn't one that I go, he was the one you know, where I learned, where I learned everything. Yeah. But you've been aware to the examples that have been out there for you. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. And then strangely, my dad, who is both an anti example, but also an example. Um, my dad is just a very charismatic guy and, and the importance, he made everyone feel good. Yeah. You know, everyone that met him was like, God, oh, that guy was a good guy. And there's a skill in that and a talent in that, that I learned a lot from. Cool. Um, and you can use it on the dark side or the light side of the force, just depending on, on how you choose. But it's, yeah, it was yeah. an amazing thing to learn from. And then I guess the final one was all the men in my, my family and my mum's family. So my grandfather was that guy who would be in the fields farming for 12 hours and then go and run the sports carnival, which yeah. would be 60 kilometres away from his farm. And no one ever noticed that he was even tired at the sports carnival and never made a big deal out of it. And yet you ask his eight children, oh yeah, actually dad was at my netball sports carnival. He was at everything, but yeah, he also was, he was harvesting 14 hours a day. And he recently passed away and we reflected on that. And everyone was like, oh, we maybe just realized the extent of what he was doing. Right. Um, yeah, so my grandfather, and he told me one really important thing, which was this, no, no man's better than you and you're not better than anyone else. And that's, that's really like a way that me and my uncles have all lived our lives. Yeah. I'm not afraid of anyone. I'm not scared, I, I, I don't feel like anyone can put it over me in any way, but I'm also not better than any other people I've come across yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. So, okay, cool. Conversation. We have delved into a, a little of the stuff that you perhaps struggle with, asking for help and that kind of stuff. So yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot here because uh, we've got cameras on you and stuff. Yeah. Is there something that you just don't talk about? You just plain and simple don't talk about that you're willing Share. You know what? I don't know why this, this came to my head, and I suppose it's embarrassing or whatever, but pornography. Yeah. So recently, I, a few months ago, I just had this epiphany, and it's like pornography is not good for you. It's bad for you. Um, and, I, and it's not something that anyone talks about, but I thought about it in more detail, and it's like the sexual drive that we have as men and women as well, yep. it, it's actually the drive of creation. It's the same thing when the universe started, as mystical as that sounds, it's what it is, but it drives us to succeed, it drives us to climb mountains. Like, why did monkeys build the Eiffel Tower? That drive, it's there. And, um, you know, pornography just deadens it. It, it. It's a chance for you not to connect with the sexual, the spiritual energy that you have. Releasing the valve over there. Release the then. valve, you know. And also, it, it destroys the relationship that you can have with women and the joy you can get from, from your sexual life. Yeah. Um, and all those images are still in your brain. Every, all the ones you've ever seen are there in there. Um, and so it was this weird thing. It's not like, and I, don't want to make, I definitely don't want to peg myself as like some pornography freak, but like most modern people, 
spent some time on the internet looking at naked pictures and videos. Um, but it was just this thing that came to me and I was kind of like, that's not, and I haven't spoke, I actually haven't told anyone, it was just something I was like, that's it, Never, yeah. no more pornography ever, that's it, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like anything bad happened, it just was a, I was, I was actually meditating, I was like, I don't want that stuff in my head, I want, the, I want other things and I don't want to block between all these amazing experiences and more than anything, I don't want to steal my own drive from me. Yeah, yeah. I want to, I want, if, I, if I feel the urge to have sex, I want to connect with that. Is it just that or is it the urge to create? Is it the urge to yeah. build and grow? Yeah. And there's yeah. also there a, a, an opportunity there for some connection. Right? Yeah. With a human. With a human, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then why, why would I kill that? That's driving me to connect. Yeah. Why would I kill that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Why do I anesthetize myself? I want that power. Yeah. You know? And, and I, can, I can resonate with that, absolutely. But yeah. also, you know, see that happening. So many of us men are disconnected, right? Yeah. And that gives us such an easy avenue to stay that way. It's, it's so easy just to stay dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so is that something that comes up with the boys that you're working with? No. No, the thing is, it's so funny talking to boys about men, or they get it. You ask, you ask a 15 year old boy, what's a good man? And they inevitably give you answers that men don't give you. Yeah, right, okay. They inevitably tell you. Uh, one of these guys I had last year, um, awesome guy, a lot of stuff going on, um, you know, spits and swears and acts all tough and wears his hat to the side. And um, people had sort of like assumed that he, that he was a bit of a ruffian. You know, and, and we had a very honest conversation there with five or six of these young, young men. And I thought, what's a, what's, a, what's a good man? And one of the boys, who's actually quite well off actually, and he was like, you know, when you can pay your bills, man, and you can pay for your phone and you can live in a house and you've got a car, that's when you're a man. And the other one, who, who didn't engage a lot, he was like, that's not, a, that's not what a man is. A man is someone that can like love a woman and, and their children. And, and make sure that they're always safe and they don't feel like they're in danger. And they'll never know when it's hard for him because he'll just protect them like that. And I was kind of like, that's a pretty beautiful vision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's specific and it's, you know, but it's, it's a beautiful vision. It's a one vision of masculinity. I think that's yeah. very, very amazing and strong. Yeah. And it's something that that kid can work with. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that conversation. And I, I'm also, um, drawn to the fact that you came to that realization yourself whilst you were meditating mm. right and the lesson for that for me in that is not necessarily meditating per se but just the fact that you were giving yourself time to stop the process and that's of where you can actually reflect and things can come to you yeah, yeah. something that we can all do more of i think yeah. myself included yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely nice. and opening space in your life for that yeah um so creating space you creating mean? space you know, one of, the, one of the really interesting things that happened to me when I, was, when I played in the World Cup, Jared Hayne was in that team and he had a real life change after Who? that. Jared Hayne, no. the, you know, that guy, I think he played something. Um, yep. He had a real change in his life. And the reason he had that, one of the reasons was uh, we're, we're obviously we're Islanders each morning, we would have an hour and a half of, ch of not church, but, but prayer. Prayer in, 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 uh, in the church is not prayer, but it's actually testifying about your relationship to the world and God. I'm not religious, I'm an atheist actually. But the process each day of standing up and saying, you know what, I let my community down in this way, I let my wife down, I let myself down, or I'm just, I feel this today, I feel called yep. to speak to all of you. Do that every day for a month. So actually talking through and experiencing what you're experiencing. Yeah, and, and saying publicly to all yeah. the guys. You know, some, some of them would be, you know what, yesterday at training, I half asked on the 400 meters, speaking it. One of the, some much heavier stuff came out, things that I've done the wrong thing to my wife. I've, yeah. 
that process of, of reflecting and doing it publicly and being able to say, hey, this is my, my deep, deep secret. My dark secret that I don't want anyone to know about yeah. is powerful. So this is, I don't know, I almost feel like this is a bit cliched when it comes to podcasts and thing like, things like this, but I am interested in it um, and I've been asked it myself many times. It's what you, would you say to your younger self? So I want to hone in on it a little bit. Sure. What would you say to the Nick who is at that age that you're working with these boys at the moment? And I'm assuming to some degree that's probably rugby league's a big focus. I'm, you know, on the path to becoming maybe a professional player. Yeah. What would you say to him? You know what's funny? It's almost what I want that guy to say to me. Yeah. Yeah, strangely. And, and I've been listening to that guy a lot okay. recently. Might be a strange way to say it, but at 15, you know, I had the slogans on my wall, routine is motivation, and I... I had this level of drive that I admire in myself yeah. and I want to come back to. Um, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't go back and tell myself to do it any other way, to be honest. Um, there was a purity to that drive that I had yeah. then that I want to recapture. And it's something that I've been going back to a lot, actually. So then what do you think 15, 16 year old Nick would say to this one? Um, get out of your head. Yeah. Do some stuff. <laughs> you know, take some action about if that thing's making you anxious. Take some action or let it go. Yeah. Um, so do you think that Nick would be a little bit confused by the one he sat down and had a conversation with now? Yeah, to a certain extent. That, that, that guy would be like, hey, do you want that thing? Yeah. Well, why aren't you just doing it? Yeah. <laughs> and that was very much my attitude at 15. Um, and that's why I was doing a lot of things really successfully at that stage. And I still am, but you can lose, your, you get dissipated, you lose that drive a little. Yeah. And a lot of us, I've heard it actually a couple of times this week, uh, the glory days, this kind of thing, right? Yeah. Back when I was, you know, yeah. I could run the 100 meters and da da da, yeah. whatever it is, right? Yeah. And we can kind of vaguely pine back to it, but it's still in there, right? It's still there, it's you. Yeah. It's you, you just layered all these other things on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not you as well. Like, I'm not that 15 year old guy, no. but, but my, you know, when I look back, I go, why was I successful there? Cool, That's, I still got that. Yeah. You know, I still got it. <laughs> still got it? Still got it, mate. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be getting the gears on and the paddock tomorrow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. And you do still got it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so conversation. That's what we're here for. This is what we're talking about. This is my passion around trying to get men, you know, getting yeah. out of our heads more and, and having the conversation. I think there's so much power in yeah. just talking yeah. and connecting yeah. and not necessarily have, needing to have a purpose, need, needing to have some kind of a result. Yeah. Um, but the result may come. It's a long game. Yeah. But bigger conversations. What's the bigger conversation that you think should be, uh, you know, being had on a bigger scale? And yeah. are you having it? So the big, you know, this one got me thinking. Um, and the bigger conversation I think that men need to be having in their relationships is about their real fears. And uh, uh, particularly, I think, you know, I see a lot of. I'm at the part of my life where relationships are ending. You know, like Such eight, as... 10, 12 year relationships are ending in people. Oh, so like your friends have got friends, actual, have, yeah, yeah. yeah, they split up or whatever. And um, and I think well, what a lot of it comes from is that people don't at the start. They're not honest. The guys aren't honest with their wife and say, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I can sleep with one woman for the rest of my life. Monogamy scares me. Yeah. And if the women were honest, it might be the same thing for them as well. And so do you think what that's just something that they kind of ignore and think maybe that'll dissipate or something? Well, maybe it'll dissipate or maybe I'll go down the dark rabbit hole that men are going down and. Uh, you know, and watching pornography for the rest of my life to deaden that sensation. And I think what needs to be happening is actually just a series of really honest conversations for the rest of your life with the partner that you have about where you're at. Mm -hmm. Rather than the point that I'm seeing just people over and over get to, which is 
They never talked about it at the start. They can never bring it up again. They get to a point where they feel trapped and lost and they get divorced. And three years later, they realize they missed that person yeah. and they never had a, a proper chat about it. And it's not just, a, it's not a man thing. It's actually a woman thing too. Yeah. Our incentives at the start are quite different. The way we feel and we rationalize to ourselves about what happens at the beginning is different because our biology is a little different. Um, yeah. But you can learn about this. It's not a secret. You know, you can listen to what the, the biological cues you have are and then okay, well, how do I think with my intellect as well? What do I see in other relationships? And that's the part of my life where I'm thinking really strongly about relationships, family and life, what's gonna, what's gonna come next. And I'm like, well, I don't actually wanna get divorced if I get married. Why are they getting divorced? Well, they never talked about honestly, yeah. honestly at the start about their fears or about their own drives. Um, so having those real honest conversations around, yeah, perhaps your drivers, but just shit that's in there probably needs to come needs out to come if out. you're going to share some intimate time yeah. for a long time with yeah someone. what's going to happen in 15 years time if we haven't had sex for a year which is pretty common in relationships yeah and how will we survive navigate that will we talk about it or just keep not talking about it until yeah. the point where we hate each other and get divorced yeah where yeah. some little thing creates a massive shitstorm. massive shitstorm, yeah. and it's and and i and, and i think men are too weak at the beginning and they're dominated a little bit by women when they're going towards this path of relationship relationship because it's just easier not to talk about it yeah, and um, it's all good, right? It's all nice when it's the honeymoon period. Yeah, right? that's yeah. all good. Um, okay. So that's that's something that's been really, that's a conversation that people need to have with each other more often. And so often. this is something that you're having? Yeah, ongoing. You know, yeah. I've, been, I've always been honest about that fear I have. Um, not fear, just feeling. Yeah. You know, like an, an observation of all these relationships that fail or not. The only model we have right now is the beautiful, successful, monogamous couple that make it to to elderly age with no problem. Well, not they all have problems. But what about the all the other ones that failed and dropped off? Yeah. Were there ways we could have saved all those yeah, so relationships? Where are the lessons in that? There are lessons in that, yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, let's have honest conversations, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cool, thanks for sharing that. Now, I wanna throw one last little one at you, and that is, is there a conversation that you want to have? Is there something that you wanna talk about right now? Now, I wanna throw one last little one at you, and that is, is there a conversation that you want to have? Is there something that you want to talk about right now? There's a conversation brewing in me. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a convert, but I, I'm not certain what it is. And it's about what's my next purpose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, over the past year or two years, I felt really strongly that my purpose was working with young people. And my purpose was uh, my girlfriend's really successful and helping her to make sure that, that was solid and that she could have, because she's like an athlete as well. Mm -hmm. and the, she could have the kind of career that I think she wants. Yep. And so I found myself at this point in life and feeling like it's a time of service. Service, help young people, build a legacy in the community at the, at the club that I work at, help my, my girlfriend. But I also feel like um, there's a conversation I need to have with myself mm -hmm. over the next couple of months about well, what's my story next? Because yep. service will, will, will sustain me for the rest of my life, but there's also how do I serve my goals? How do you serve you? Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that I think is coming for me. Maybe we can talk about it in the future. You can help me out a little bit because I'm a bit lost with that right now. Yeah. I don't know exactly what my path is and I feel yeah. like it's coming. So thanks for sharing that. And I think that's such an important um, and poignant little point is that I think a lot of us can be um, maybe stuck in that place where what is my purpose? Yeah. Um, certainly you've got purpose right yeah meaning you're doing things that bring you purpose and for me that's something for me is a maybe a distinction that is needed like personally 
what is my purpose can be quite overwhelming and confronting. Yeah. Um, but as long as you've got purpose, like that's good momentum, and you can kind of go from that. I think that can lead the way. Yeah, and like yeah. there's this big fallacy that you have to be doing the one thing in life that satisfies all of your needs. So we put that expectation on relationships that one person can satisfy everything, yeah. emotionally, spiritually, physically. Work, this one job will give me all the satisfaction and money and everything that I need in that one thing. And I actually believe, hey, I might just be really good at some stuff that makes money, which I quite like. And I might love working with people in the community, but there might be this other purpose of mine yeah. that I need to develop and grow that may never make me enough money to support me, but it might be this thing that I just think. Yeah, but it makes you. Makes it me. You. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's probably where I'm at in the conversation is the, one, the bit where I just don't know the answer. Answer, yeah. and, but the key there being it's having that conversation with yourself. Yeah, nice. yeah. And, 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 and slowly I'm having it with others because yeah. I've, I've realized, oh, that's, I feel that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So you're recognizing it. Recognize, right? I'm yeah. at the recognition stage, yeah. Yeah, yeah awareness. Yeah. That's it, right? Because a lot of us swallow that shit down and you, you, know, you spoke about pornography perhaps, is, but then there's other things like numbing. You know, if we're you know, just going, fuck, hard day, let me straight for the beer or whatever it is, right? Yeah. But the more we can pay attention to and, and work and what, what we're feeling yeah. and experiencing, we can actually 100%. listen to that. Oh, there's a voice in me that's saying whatever it is, right? The conversation I had with my friend who's depressed the other day, I was like, man, you literally work 16 hours a day, punches some booze for three hours. And I don't think alcohol's evil either, but it was, you know, and he said to me, you know what my realization is? It's just, it was just easier to work that amount of time, have a f six or seven drinks or whatever, mm. go to bed, get up at five o'clock and work again. And do it again. Then sit there with my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And that's where, you know, like we yeah. numb. We so numb, he's, whatever he's the method. with a lot of work and, and a lot of beer or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So yeah, listening to that voice and whatever it is and actually just being aware to what's going on in you. And yeah. I got that a lot from this conversation. Mate, that's us. Great. Thank you so much for coming along. Thanks, Mike. It's been great to chat. Um, I've learned some stuff there that, that yeah. I didn't know uh, about you, which was, which was, um, very cool. Oh, thanks for my intro too. Maybe I was blushing a little. <laughs> I didn't see it. Uh, <laughs> so, mate, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for coming along. Thank you. It has been great to chat, and I definitely learned some stuff about you there that I didn't, uh, didn't know. So, um, I'm personally um, quite happy that we've uh, connected a bit more here, and I hope that everyone else has got something from that. So, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, the one thing I want to leave you with is make sure that you go out into your own lives now and, and take some of this and whatever resonates with you, apply action to it. Start having these more meaningful conversations in your own life. Ask a mate if he wants to have a real chat and just go beyond the beers. Make sure you share this episode with at least one man you think will enjoy or benefit from it. Now go out into your own life and start having these more meaningful conversations. Ask for help. Ask a mate how he's really doing, or if he just wants to have a real conversation and go beyond the beers.